Well, it's a, it's a new year. The first day of the new year is a Sunday. And I wonder how you normally think about the new year, whether you're a New Year's resolution type person or you've never done that in your life. But I was thinking about that in preparation for this message and I googled what were the top New Year resolutions of 2022. And one article said, pretty predictable, eat healthier, exercise more and floss regularly. Maybe that's something you want to do in 2023. You just want to floss every single night. Now, many people make New Year's resolutions because I guess they want to make life work better. They've got a problem they want to resolve or they want to personally develop themselves. They're they're chasing happiness in a sense. They want to make life more effective, more whole, more enjoyable. But I wonder if this sort of New Year resolution kind of way about going, going about things is really the most effective way to get at that, the good life, the life we all want, the life that's enjoyable, that works well, that is nice and pleasant. Nearly 80% of New Year's resolutions actually fail, according to one article, at least in America. I don't know if it's the same in Australia, but 80% of their New Year's resolutions fail. And I wonder if God has designed life in such a way that the good life is not self-made or self-pursued or self-resolved or self-strategized, but the good life is actually found in God, in Christ, in relationship with our Creator. What if God designed things that we would only find the good life in Him alone? Until He becomes first in our life, no amount of resolutions or exercise or flossing for that matter, will ever really get us to the place that we want to be. Well, this is pretty similar to the message of Haggai the prophet. We're going to be looking at this little book over the next four weeks. It's the third last book in the Old Testament. And it's this new series we've called First Things First, the message of the prophet Haggai. And Haggai challenges God's people to put first things first, to put God first. He says that the best kind of life there is is found in God. And this is really the perfect time of the year to be thinking through our priorities, to be evaluating a little bit, to be thinking about where is God in my life? And we'll dive into what this passage has to teach us in just a moment. But before we really can get into what Haggai's message is, we need to understand the setting, where they are at in the Bible storyline. And so we'll read verse 1, which says, It's in the second year of King Darius that we're finding this message. On the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. And so the book itself begins by grounding itself in its historical moment. It's very specific. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month. King Darius was actually a Persian ruler. But before we get to that point, let me just reverse and go rewind just a little bit to show where we are. So in the Old Testament, God's people were told to build a temple. And remember, recently we looked at how King Solomon built this incredible temple to God in Jerusalem. Well, that temple was eventually destroyed by the Babylonians. God judged his people. The Babylonians came. They destroyed the temple. They destroyed the city. And they took God's people into exile to Babylon. And they spent 70 years in Babylon before they were able to return, as God predicted. What happened was, King Cyrus, this king of Persia, rose to power, 
sacked the Babylonians, and he was the new superpower. Persia was the new superpower in the world. And they had like a nicer kind of strategy to deal with their captive peoples. Instead of subjugating them, they're actually kind of like the nice guys. They let the people go back to their lands and gave them resources to rebuild their religious sites and so on. And so just as God predicted earlier through some of his prophets, King Cyrus actually did that for the Israelites. He let them go back to Jerusalem. He gave them resources to go back and to rebuild their temple. And so they began to rebuild, but the local inhabitants of that area wanted to oppose it. They didn't like this happening. Maybe they were worried that they were going to get too much power. And so they began to oppose them. But the Israelites, to their credit, kept building for nine years. This was a massive project. They weren't even finished after nine years. It was just the foundation that had been laid. And so after nine years, eventually the locals got so worked up, they sent a letter back to the king of Persia. And by this stage, it was a different king. It wasn't Cyrus anymore. It was a different king. And they sent a letter back to him, and they said, look at your historical records. This city, Jerusalem, used to be a powerful city, and they never used to really listen to their overlords. It's going to be bad news for you if they get this rebuilt. They're not going to pay your taxes. It's going to be bad for Persia. And so the then king of Persia sent a letter back and said, stop the work. And so the, the inhabitants, the locals, they came to the Jews that were there, and they forced them to stop building. So that's really the precursor to our text today, because from that point, when they stopped building, one year turned into two years, turned into three years, turned into 10 years, with the temple lying there unfinished. And this is where Haggai comes in. God raises up this prophet, this nobody. We don't know anything else about him other than God raised him up, and he comes with this message to challenge God's people to do what they were meant to be doing. And who knows why, how they justified their choices at that time. When they were first intimidated, they probably were worried for their lives. I mean, the kingdom of Persia said, stop building or else. The superpower said, stop building or else. And so it's understandable from a human perspective that they stopped the work. But maybe they thought, you know, eventually we'll, we'll get back to it or things will blow over. But one year turned into two years, turned into three years, and eventually they were stuck in this rut for 10 years. They got used to living with the rubble around them. They got used to living with the temple still in ruins. They got used to not putting God first in their lives. And this is something we can often relate to, can't we? Sometimes we get stuck in ruts. Sometimes we get stuck walking around the rubble that's in our lives. Maybe it's our marriage. We know that it needs work. We know that it's not as happy as it should be. And we need to get involved and get among the weeds and just work at our relationship. Maybe it's in your finances. Maybe God's calling you to be more generous and to sponsor a compassion child. But you're saying, well, no, inflation's going up and craft beer is already expensive, so, you know, I've got to keep that money for myself. That's a joke, by the way. I like craft beer. I didn't know it was expensive. You know, maybe God's pointing at something in your life and you just kind of get used to it being there. Well, if that is you this morning, God has got a message for you. He wants to challenge you. He wants to encourage you to put Him first, to believe you can change, and to pursue what He wants. And so that's what we're going to look at as we open up the first chapter of Haggai today. And we'll look at this chapter in two sections. First, God challenges His people's priorities. That's the first section. God challenges His people's priorities in verses 2 to 11. 
And God does this by making two arguments, or he asks two questions of his people to get them to think about what's happening. And the first question he asks is this, is it right to put me second? Is it right to put God second? Is it right me to put me after all the other things in your life? In verses 2 to 4, we read, this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves, literally in the Hebrew, it's you, you, twice. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses, which were kind of luxurious for that time? To be living in your nice houses while this house remains a ruin. He's talking about the temple, his house. So God sends Haggai to bring this message to them and says, is it really a time for you to be renovating your houses while my house, the temple, lies in ruins? And I can just imagine how they might have justified that so easily. You know, after two years, three years, they might have thought, well, our economy is destroyed. We've just gotten back. We need to rebuild the economy. We need resources. Let's build our houses. Let's start farming. Let's cultivate things. And eventually, we'll have enough power, enough human resources and finances to, to finance it. We'll get to it at some stage. Whatever it might have been, they justified their choices to stop building as God had told them to do. And for us, we can do the same thing in our lives. Maybe God has been tapping on your shoulder for a while saying, I want you to put me first. I want you to know me. I want you to read my word. But you justify. You say, well, I'm, I'm too busy. I, I don't like reading. And besides, I've got a new Netflix series that's come out tonight that I want to check out. Matt jokes again. But yeah. Or maybe uh, it's in your finances, like I said before. Or maybe it's in your marriage. We, we so easily kind of just get used to the rubble and justify why we're not listening to what God wants us to do. Maybe that's you. And you know that God isn't first in your life in that area. And so maybe God wants to come today and say to you, is it right though? Is that right? Is that right to put me last? Or is that right not to do what I'm saying? Is it right? And the obvious answer is no. It's never right to put our matchless, worthy creator behind other pursuits. But secondly, God would ask this, and this is what he asks of Haggai's audience as well. His second question was, does it benefit you to put me second? Does it benefit you to put God second or after other priorities? Verses 5 to 9 says, now this is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house, the temple, so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Now, you can sense that God is just baffled by his people's decisions here. He's asking, why? Why put me second? Why put me after? Why aren't you trusting me? Why? It's not, it's not 
right, but it's not benefiting you either. Maybe they wanted to prosper. They're building these nice houses. They were planting farms and so forth. But it was resulting in terrible crops. And God's saying, do you see what's happening? Give careful thought to your ways. It's not right to put me second. And it's not benefiting you. And so this is a command all of us can obey. This command to consider carefully. He repeats that command twice in the verses I just read. Consider carefully, consider your ways, think, evaluate. Whether God is first in your life right now or not, we can obey that command this new year and reflect and evaluate where God is in our priorities. Is our relationship with Him first? Is His Word first? Are we seeking Him? And so I just want to ask you to consider that this morning, as I'll consider that too. Where is God in your life? Is He first? Is your lifestyle giving you peace, the peace that God wants to give you? Or is there something gnawing at you that you know God wants you to give to Him? God wants to challenge us about our priorities this year and to ask us to put Him first. Because if we downgrade or ignore God, we're only hurting ourselves in the end. When I first really came alive in my faith, it was in year 11 at high school. And uh, I was zealous about Jesus. I was passionate about Jesus. I started coming along to this church. I was going to this school. I started coming along to this church, and this is where I plugged in. And I was passionate about Jesus, but pretty much all of my friends at that stage weren't Christian. Only a couple of my friends were Christian. And a lot of my friends, and I know shock, horror, but a lot of my friends, even at that young age, were at parties, and they were drinking and things like that. And so when I became a Christian, I, I thought, well, I'm going to honor God. I'm not going to drink anymore. I'm, I'm going to wait till I'm 18. And I'm going to go along and just be an influencer for Jesus and just love these people. And I was really zealous about Jesus. But at the end of year 12, we had this little thing coming up called schoolies. You may have heard of it before. And me and my friends had already been planning to go along down to the Gold Coast and do the schoolies thing. And as that trip got closer and closer, I can't really remember how much I was feeling convicted, but I remember just not really making a decision to pull out of that. And by the time I got to that week, I just really backslid in my faith. I pursued the world's pleasures in that sense. I put God last. I put Him on the back burner. And so I gave myself to the partying and to the drinking that week. And I remember coming out of that week on the drive home, just feeling so convicted by God, feeling so convicted, feeling yuck, and also just feeling like this hasn't benefited me. It's not right, and it hasn't benefited me. I don't actually feel joyful. I don't feel peaceful. I don't feel wholesome. And so that's a way that God challenged me when I put Him on the back burner in a very obvious way. He showed me this isn't right, and besides, the pleasure you're pursuing, it's just like sand that keeps falling through your hands. You keep trying to grab at it. It just keeps falling through. It doesn't benefit you. And that was a catalyst God used to really renew and strengthen my faith journey with Him. If God loves us, He will frustrate all our efforts to create the good life until we realize that the good life is one where God is honored and treasured above every other priority. 
If God is gracious, He will frustrate all our attempts to, to find pleasure and happiness apart from Him until we realize it's only found in Him. It's only found in putting Him first. God will settle for nothing less than our whole hearts. He wants us to put Him first. Not because He's a narcissist, but because He is God. And we are His creatures. He created us. He knows how we work. And He knows what is best for us. He created us to know Him, enjoy Him, and obey Him. In one of our confessions that we subscribe to as a church, we say this is a good sort of teaching of what the Bible says. One of our confessions, it says this. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That's what we were created for, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The good life is found in God. This is what Haggai was challenging God's people to return to, to renew their devotion to God by rebuilding the temple. And God asked them two questions. Is it right to put me second? And does it benefit you to put me second? And the answer to both of them was no. It's not right and it's not benefiting you. So how did God's people respond? How did they respond to this message? Well, something incredible happens in this passage. At the preaching of the word, nothing less than revival broke out among the people. And this is what we see in the second part of chapter 1. God revives His people's spirits. God revives His people's spirits. Verses 12 to 15, it says, Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. Now, I just love this passage. God revives His people's spirits. They had spent 10 years in limbo, 10 years resigned, giving up hope to rebuild, 10 years getting used to the rubble, getting used to the ruins of the temple, living around the ruins. They were focusing on themselves, and in a single moment, God uses His Word through the message of the prophet Haggai to revive the spirit of His people. The message pierces their hearts. They repent and God stirs them up for the work that He's called them to. When it says that He stirs up their spirits, it means He's awakened them. He's breathed new life into them. He's revived their hearts and revival has broken out. And this is what our God does. He revives weary souls. He revives despondent souls. He revives souls entangled in sin. He revives and makes spiritually dead people come alive. You know, one sister who's in our church these days, she grew up in our church and she was following Jesus, but then her family moved away. And when they moved away, her faith stopped, essentially. She stopped following God. She, she ceased to have a relationship with Jesus. And it was 27 years of life like that, 27 years in that limbo, 
until one day she moved back into the area and she was driving past and she just had this sense to come in. And all these memories started flooding back of her time here in this building. And God did a work in her heart. She began to take little steps. She came along to a service. She came along to the Alpha course. And now she is among us, loving Jesus, grateful for what God has done. God just revived her heart and renewed her faith and brought her to repentance. And she is just so grateful to be here among us today. That is the kind of work that God does. He revived Israel and brought them back to what they were supposed to be doing, building the temple. And that very same month, the people began the work. But what about today? Where is the temple today? Well, historically speaking, we know that temple that was rebuilt was destroyed in AD 70. And it hasn't been rebuilt since on that mount in Jerusalem. So, what are we meant to be doing today as God's people? Well, Jesus, when the New Testament opens, he came into Israel and in his ministry, he actually said that he was the temple. You see, that physical temple that God told them to build was just a temporary sign and symbol pointing forward to the ultimate temple, Jesus Christ. See, what is the temple? It is the place where God's presence resides. And so Jesus came along and said, I'm actually the place where God's presence is. I am the true, he was literally God incarnate. And in his ministry, Jesus said something interesting. He said, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. And the people were confused when he said that because they thought they were talking, he was talking about this great temple that Herod had built. It took them years and years and years to build. But he was referring to himself. He's saying, destroy me, kill me, and I'll be raised to life in three days. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He willingly submitted himself to go to the cross. And Jesus, the true temple, was broken down, reduced to rubble, destroyed, put to death for the sake of us. For the sake of those whose lives have been reduced to rubble. For the sake of those whose lives are being ruined by sin and being ruined by suffering and being ruined by death. Jesus came and took our place on the cross. He let that temple be destroyed so that we could find new life in him. Because you see, three days later, Jesus rose again from the grave. His, his, that temple was rebuilt and his temple building work began. Because when Jesus ascended, he poured out his spirit into the hearts of his people. We became like little temples in that sense, full of the presence of God. And the Bible actually says that Jesus is the true temple that we're kind of being built into, the spiritual temple. He's like the cornerstone, the most important stone, and we're like these other little stones being built into this temple. Jesus is the true temple that we're being built into today. And so what that means is that we're not alone in God's challenge to us to put Him first. He's not challenging us to say, get better, try harder, do more. Jesus actually came and dealt with our sin. He's filled us with his power and with his presence and with his spirit. And he calls us to live as new people, as part of the temple, as part of his presence here on earth today. So where are you at as we begin 2023? Maybe you're doing well and Jesus really is your priority. And I just want to let you know, church, when I think of you guys, I'm encouraged. Recently, when we had that offering for the New Life Orphanage in Myanmar, we raised almost $10,000, and I was just so encouraged by that. I can see the fruit of God's Spirit among us, 
I'm encouraged by you. But we can all reflect and we can all take time today to think, where is God at in my priorities? Maybe God is tapping on your heart and challenging you about something today. What we can do, all do this new year, and something that my wife and I will be doing, Michan, we'll be doing an audit on our life. And this is something you can do. You can schedule in a time in January, this new year, to just sit down and reflect on your life. You can look at your finance and say, is God first here? You can look at your marriage and say, is God first here? You can look at your parenting. You can look at your singleness. You can look at your work, your vocational life and say, is God first here? And just evaluate, reflect, pray, and listen. Let God lead you. Let God prompt you. Is God first in our priorities? Haggai 1 teaches us that if God really loves us, He will frustrate all our efforts to get at the good life until we realize that the good life is one where God is honored and treasured above all else. I've been blessed to have a coach in my life called Mike Rader. And he's, um, he's a really gifted preacher, and he coaches me in my preaching. He's actually going to be the speaker at our national youth convention this year, where all our young people are getting together across the nation in, just, uh, in the next couple of weeks. And uh, he told me a story this week about how God awakened a man he preached to in Singapore. God stirred up the spirit of this man who had begun to put God on the back burner in his life. And this was this man's letter to Mike. He wrote this letter to Mike, and this is what it says. This man said, God spoke to me that my priorities have not been totally aligned with his. And indeed, my spiritual life had stagnated since I was an enthusiastic new convert in 2003. I remember at that time, I had naively told my bosses in my first few months at work that all I wanted to do with my life was to serve God and that career was not a big priority. That enthusiasm soon got lost and choked by the weeds of ambition and worldliness as I pursued a bigger salary and a job with better prospects. To that end, I wound up working in the finance industry in the last two years, through which I grew in materialism, greed, and also in ungodliness. God has been merciful to give me a wake-up call. The first practical step that I've taken is to resign my finance job. But personally, I know it has been a hindrance to my spiritual growth. I'm currently serving notice and will leave my current company on 4th of September. Now, isn't that an incredible step of radical obedience this man took? He heard the word preached, God pierced his heart, And he knew what he had to do, and he obeyed. I love how he said, God has been merciful to give me a wake-up call. No one ever regrets putting God first. God wants your whole heart. And he wants to pour life and blessing into it. So let's give him our hearts this year. Let's put Jesus first in 2023. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the message of Haggai. And Lord, we just pray that your spirit would just be counseling us and teaching us and working in us right now. Lord, those who just need encouragement, would you encourage them? Lord, those of us who need conviction and a wake-up call, would you wake us up? Would you bring us back to you in full devotion? Lord, wherever we are at, we just pray that as a church, 
you will use us, that we will put you first this, this year, Jesus, and every year, that you would be among us, Lord, that we would be like that new temple that you are building, that people would sense that your presence is among us because we would be a people devoted to you. Thank you that you've given us your spirit. And we just pray, protect us, bless us, make your face to shine upon us and give us your peace. In Jesus' name, amen.